0: You were listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Dan Baer's interview with the director for Carmen, Benjamin Millipede, and my interview with the film's composer, Nicholas Bretel. me has querido.
1: Ahora es momento de que me dejes. Tu momento de volar.
0: Ve a la ciudad de Los Ángeles. How many jobs there are in this town? One. Mike, let her go! Stop!
2: Are you a soldier? you My name is Carmen.
3: Carmen?
0: My mom told me they were like hermanos.
3: Hermanas de vida y hermanas de muerte.
2: Welcome, everyone, to the next best picture podcast, where we are talking with the director and choreographer of the new film, Carmen, Mr. Benjamin Milpied. Benjamin, how are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm very excited to be talking to you about this film, your debut feature, uh, which is it's an incredible, incredible uh, film for to be someone's first feature. And I wanted to ask, you know, you have danced with and choreographed for some of the world's most prestigious ballet companies and opera companies, as well as your own dance companies. You've worked on choreography on films like Black Swan and Dune. You've directed some short films and music videos. What pushed you towards directing a feature film of your own? And then what pushed you towards... Adapting Carmen,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, well, you know, there, there's there's a, there's a natural draw. Like, I have I've held a camera for pretty much my whole adult life, um, photo, ph- photography cameras. So, and choreography, which is really moving people in time and space, and working with light and if a frame, you know, which is a theater space, mm-hmm. yeah, um, all of these things are very, are things that lend themselves to the to the craft of cinema, and um, and then there's I think also the the unknown, the unknown of like I knew that something that was calling me that I that I was drawn to, uh, the unknown and the challenge, and uh, always something about me which is. The desire to learn um and the desire to then try and master something which is the beauty of when you try to fall in love and master a craft it's infinite right because you can always get better at it and so um it's a journey it's a beautiful journey where you, you 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 you're creative you create with other people and you make these these pieces that are a moment a moment of time in your life, and they represent something specific that you're going through, and maybe society is going through, and um, and it just they're are just these milestones, and uh, that's sort of how I've been lucky to lead my lead my life is to make make dances and make so many works that reflect a moment in time, and now I get to do it with film, which is a kind of a deeper. Uh, intellectual process, you know, in my in dances, Mm. I get to go in the studio and just um, it's very instinctive. It's very much very emotional. It's a piece of music I want to use in the moment. It's dancers I want to work with in the moment. And then film, it's like, oh, well, this is the story I want to tell. It's inside me. Like now let's dissect it. Let's figure out exactly what that story mm. is. You got to put it on paper. Let's figure out how to create characters for it and situations and tension. And let's let's be surprised. And so there's a kind of a deeper journey that in terms of a, a, a personal journey that is really exciting. And, um, and, I, and I love that. And then I loved so much this idea of you come, you have a vision, you carry it with your script and then you find your... You know, it's like you have seven samurais. Like, what's the perfect team for this movie to come? Yeah. To? Like this creative team, you yeah, production designer, custom designer, you know, DP. Um, and you gather these people and then you, you know, you really you set them free to enrich your vi- the vision as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And then that's, and then you're carried with, you know, in this communal experience of creativity and collaboration. And all of that to try to be, to have all this prepare, preparation to create something spontaneous and magic, magic in the room on set when the camera's rolling, you do all of this to then be surprised by by something spontaneous you didn't expect and something before you know. So it's 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 fascinating. And then and then you know and then when this when this, when this the shooting ends, you fall off the face of the earth because you're <laughs> you're like Where, where's everybody. Where's that energy? Then you yeah. find yourself alone in a room, and you see everything you've made, and you think, um, "Where's my movie?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then, and then, and then you make something, and then you convince all your producers that's what you wanted to make in the first place. You know,
2: of course. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember reading somewhere that you had had always loved uh, the opera Carmen.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think it was. Listen the bize is very it's it's music you can you can sing and and whistle. Mm-hmm. Um I saw it as a kid. I saw Carlos Torres as a kid. Um and so it was part of my it was part of my life. It was kind of part of growing up in my cultural psyche, you know. Mm. Um and when I was by the time I started to dream up of making movies I I I thought it would be interesting to to take that classical story and retell it in a different way, and then I was surprised in a way how much it needed to be retold, mm-hmm. uh, reimagined. Because what's really only interesting is this character that's um, that's her freedom, her fearlessness, her magical quality, something that is just you know you you see so rarely, just a kind of a really magical character, and 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 not then make her a a male fantasy of what a woman should be and a woman who can't love or be loved really is just an object of desire, which is what she is in the original opera. Mm -hmm. And so make her a woman who actually could have an experience with a man who's actually good and let him have an experience with a woman who transcends his idea of love and freedom. Um, And so it was interesting to, to, to set it between a damage war veteran who is living life like a ghost and who's a deeply good person and yet profoundly damaged by a a quality of life that's unfair you know and 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 yet be be drawn and kind of be pushed by the mother you know i think there's this sort of idea that he's also chosen you know the mother dies and the idea in mexican culture that the the dead kind of carry you through your life and help you mm-hmm. through life. They're there with you. And, and he kind of is led towards her, you know, and that's why you even see Masilda before yeah. he kills um, Mike, because in Moe, maybe it's Masilda who pushes him to kill Mike. You know, there's this, these women are connected mm-hmm. uh, across life and death. And, and there's, there's this, these forces that, that pushing push the story along and, they get to have both an experience with each other that is magnificent for him to have in his lifetime and for her to carry on for the future
2: yeah it's an adaptation that takes quite a few liberties with the yeah, original story but i do actually like that it it does feel like a an updating of the the character of carmen yeah. into a different setting and how would she react and what would she be like today yes and that that's very interesting and the other The other thing that is interesting to me, it's, you know, you were saying like this connection to the dead. The film has this very mystical kind of magical realism. Yeah. uh, Feel throughout it.
1: I experience life like that. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I like that. My life feels so often that coincidences on coincidences. You're like, Mm. really? How am I... How am I? How am, I how am I in the middle of the city, and I and I'm and I'm face to face with this person? You know that. Yeah. That's, that I know. Like, there there's such I think unusual beauty in what happens in life that, that it often feels like life is throwing you the things you need to experience. May they be good or hard, you know. And yeah. um, I throw in a lot of that because um, I think it's important to pay attention. You know, I think it's important to pay attention to science, and sometimes it's important to pay attention to dreams, yeah. and we don't pay enough attention. Where we live in a society where everything about its construction is is to is to make sure we don't pay attention and mm-hmm. and that we and that we 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 consume, you know. And so, you know, that's that's the beauty of what mm-hmm. I do in life with live theater, and then here with cinema is to have. Uh, to pay attention to something specific and to have an intense experience, you know, yeah. life is so much greater when it's lived intensely, when it's when it's mm. um, light and yet your experiences are profound, you know, and deep. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, I I get that. I think one of the things that that adds to that feeling for me in the film is that so much of it is told strictly through movement and there's very little dialogue for, yeah. for much of the film. Um, but I was wondering if it was ever part of your plan or vision for the movie for it to be entirely dialogue free, because there are moments when it feels like this is just going to be a pure ballet on film, no yeah. dialogue, no nothing.
1: No, it it, it, ha- it ended up being like that because we stripped a, we stripped it away and because the movie Ended up with the quality that is um, very much told like the way I told I tell dances because in dance, you will create images right with bodies that are yeah. that sometimes can be very symbolic of, you know, uh, of 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 a relation a relationship and how two people consider each other or things that are and 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 so these images just create thoughts in the audience right they just think what you know what does this evoke for me? And it can be different for everyone. And so there's so, so much beauty in that, right? It's just, you kind of, you know, you, 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 you give something that's has specific meaning to you and people take away whatever it is that they want. And so it was really interesting to like for this first film to, to have this quality in it where um, there's really room for people's interpretation that every question isn't answered because I, I also think that that's something important you know to not always feel like in you know i mean maybe and this movie goes far in that direction but like it's so nice to live the mystery of in 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 some ways in some things that happen in a story everything isn't has to be answered everything doesn't have to make you don't have to kind of come around to every you know everything has to be it's nice to leave room for interpretation and to also wonder you know, like in L'Aventura, like whatever happened to the woman on the island, you know, yeah. where did she go? What some questions are unanswered <laughs> it it they leave you thinking, and they also you know they, they 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 keep a kind of tension in your own mind as you're watching the movie, you know, like it's it's kind of beautiful. And I and I and I also think that's that's important, like we are also such in a world of like you know, uh, dopamine response to you know, like everything, everything has to be, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, you get these sort of thrills and there, everything's very well packaged and everything, you know, and, and to have mystery and to have unanswered questions and to have things where like, you know, your, your experience means you're going to maybe think about, think a little bit about a situation or you're going to think a little bit about an experience is something really important.
2: Yeah. It's fantastic the way you think about it and the way you can feel that in the film. It, it's it's really great. <laughs> I have one last question before we go. I feel like I can't talk to you about this movie and not talk about Nicholas Bertel and yeah. the relationship yeah, between doing a fully original score for this film that is so important on music. My question was, was he always the person that you saw composing this music? and And how yeah. soon did you, after deciding to do this, how soon did you get him involved
1: we um it was years ago i mean it was definitely with him that i wanted to write the first film mm-hmm. and um and it was great because there was a sense of all these cultural influences that we were sharing you know the sounds mm-hmm. like when we started to talk about the hip hop at the end like i remember nick going towards a more kind of conventional beat kind of sound and i immediately was like oh you know i grew up with i grew up in senegal and like i grew up with these these sabar instruments it, it's really oh, wow played with the stick in, in the hand and it's there are these tall drums and there are these incredible rhythms and i played some of them for him and that was inspiring and then we knew oh my god we don't want that sound to just be this obvious hip-hop sound we wanted to be to also have this west yeah. african
2: so it's this real collaboration between the two of you.
1: Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah. 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 We shared, we shared choir. I shared choirs from diverse origins and in the end, it was amazing how the film ended up, the score ended up being so filled with this cultural tapestry of influences and make, and it gave it this really unique sound. And yet the choir is singing French lyrics from the opera mm-hmm. That, that you can't you, know, so you can't understand even if you're French, I think it would be hard to really get <laughs> all of them, but they have they have a significance with every scene. I don't know I think in some other cut I need to actually um, subtitle them at some point.
2: <laughs> well, well, I will definitely be looking forward to that. At you. any rate, uh, we are out of time. But Benjamin, thank you so much You're for joining welcome. us today. Thank you so much for the film, and we look forward to whatever you you do next. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Recuerda siempre que de lo que huyes <laughs> lo acabarás encontrando, vayas donde vayas.
0: Soñando, danzando Baila. here once again by Emmy award winning Oscar nominated composer Nicholas Patel whose latest score for Carmen is one of the most heavenly Best scores I've ever heard in my life. I think I told you that immediately following its world premiere at TIFF. You you like went on the stage and I just I remember being in the front row and going, Nick, that was amazing. I saw you. I saw you.
3: (laughs) No, thank you so much, Matt. I I really, really appreciate it. This uh this project was a real journey to put together over a very, very long period of time. So yeah.
0: How long of a time are we talking here?
3: It's interesting. This week I look back, I my first email from Benjamin where he was like this is i want to make a carmen and i want it to be a total reimagining that was about 10 years ago that i got that email actually and uh and then we really started working on it you know as i i as i was working on all sorts of things you know it's sort of a it was like a kind of an exploration really and the movie you know certainly has so many experimental elements and so much of i think the way that we worked on it was experimental as well um and i really i think it was around 2015-16 that we were beginning to really get into the on-camera music and start experimenting and seeing what felt right for benjamin there um and then uh had the luck and and uh you know joy of getting to collaborate with torres stinson and juliet de benegas and the doc and that we started working with them uh individually um, probably around 20 17, 18, I think it was.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and so it so, you know, and then and then the film was finally uh shot uh in during the pandemic in 2020. So it's you know that kind of and then post was in 20, I finished the score in the I'm just doing my mental calendar here. I think I think I finished the score in the in the early early months of 2022. I think that's what it was. So, very, yeah. So, that's the full <laughs> uh, chronology in a sense.
0: So, a lot of this predates a lot of your mainstream success that you had in recent years. Uh, I'm just curious to know how did you and Benjamin uh, get connected for the first time?
3: we actually first met through Natalie, uh, through Natalie. Mm-hmm. Portland. I went, uh, you know, went to school with Natalie. She's a dear, dear friend. And I remember when she was working on black Swan, um, which was, I believe it was 2009. It might've been the end of 2000. Right. Yeah. It, um, it was either end of a or 09 where, um, uh, I remember one day I was giving a, uh, I used to give small house concerts in my apartment and, uh, I was giving a little house concert and I invited Nat over and then she brought Benjamin. And, uh, that was the first time I'd met Benjamin. And it was really interesting because I think from our first conversations, we felt like we had sort of similar, uh, aesthetic, you know, sensibilities, sort of kindred spirits in a way. And I remember, I think our first conversation, we, you know, it's not a, a a common occurrence that your first conversations are like talking about how amazing box organ fugues are, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I think that was our, one of our first conversations. So it was, it was, it was really cool. And then over the years, um, uh, obviously Benjamin founded LA dance project and, uh, himself has so many, so many gifts and talents i mean uh, besides being an amazing choreographer he was one of the most amazing dancers probably of modern times and also you know among other things an amazing photographer and love films and was making short films when i first met him mm-hmm. uh making sure you know i remember talking to him about the shorts he was shooting in sort of 2010 2011 and we ended up actually producing projects together we made some short films together some dance films even some commercials. uh, And, uh, and, and we learned a lot in that process of doing things. And so obviously the conversation would often come up of what, you know, what would Benjamin's feature be? You know, if he was Mm -hmm. going to feature when he was going to do the feature, what would it be? So those early conversations really clearly, uh, I got that email in 2013. So, so it was, um, that was the idea. And then it was something that, You know, he's a dear friend and 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 I've loved working with him over the years. And it felt like a very natural thing to experiment and see where it went. And and as with all of my um, collaborations, uh, I feel that so much of it is I'm trying to sort of imagine and interpret the feeling that I think a director is looking for and then figuring out how do I resonate with that musically. Um, And and, you know, I think from hearing the score and from seeing the film, there's a set of feelings that are, I think, latent within the film that the film is sort of trying to express. Yeah. And that was something musically that I think we started hitting on together um, in around 2016, I think. I remember I would go to Benjamin's house in LA and, you know, I'd, we'd sit at the piano and I would sort of show some things that I was feeling. And um, and he would, I remember when, when we were working on some dance, you know, he would start dancing or moving around the room. And that was quite wonderful. And um, and it really was that kind of a process. Fascinatingly, um, some of those earliest sort of seed ideas wound up in, in the film, which is something into you know, that sort right. of time horizon is something I've never, um, I'd never certainly up until this point i had never uh, worked with. And it was interesting to see kind of what, you know, what ideas do bec- feel like they're really a part of something. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously I can talk extensively about the way that the score evolved too, if you want to
0: no, I mean, uh, (laughs) listening to it, I can distinctly hear your signature uh, sound in it, but also at the same time, I walked away from it on my, my first listen. I've been listening to it uh, repeatedly nonstop ever since I've had it on a, on a loop today since the morning, uh, since the time I woke up. And one thing I keep coming away with And I hate to use a redundant word here, but it truly is operatic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it feels so grand and vast. And a lot of that has to do not just with the different styles that you incorporate into it, but also that it's also utilizing a very classical approach to uh, instead of like a like an electronically fused sound or something more modern, it does feel more classical, and also yeah. the way it incorporates choir work. So, can you talk to me just a little bit about how this score challenged you as a composer? Because it does feel very big when you listen to it, and I, I have to imagine that must have been challenging to some degree. Oh, for
3: sure. And and I would say, right, right, you know, right off the bat, it was it was the most. Um, different score both in the way that i wrote it and in the way that uh that i utilize it in the film of anything mm-hmm. I've done before because in a sense the score is is in a way an answer to a question which is like what is for this film for this film that benjamin created what is the way that the music should function and early on benjamin really wanted the score to be very for forward he wanted it to be uh integral to I think the feeling of the film but the way in which that happens is always the question you know how do you actually how do you integrate a score like what is it where does it go what is the sound and one of the fascinating things was I actually hadn't um hadn't put the choir in that wasn't one of the earliest ideas I think I'd thought about it and I love writing for voices so Mm -hmm. and, and I've I've been eagerly kind of trying to do that more um over the past few years but um But what happened was there was a scene, the scene in the motel when Aiden and Carmen are first together in a in a safer space, you know, Um, that was the scene where I remember I was I was trying to score the film and it just everything I was doing didn't feel right to me. There was something that what it was like, in a sense, writing a score that was more of an accompanying texture to the film just. It it didn't resonate for me. And I remember I was in the room of Benjamin in my studio, and I said to him, I have a totally crazy idea. What if there were a choir in the score? And what if that choir were actually like an ancient Greek chorus that is commenting on the lives of the characters, but is almost present with them in their space? And Benjamin just said, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and, I said, <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm glad you think so. Because I'm worried that I'm totally losing it here. And uh, and then, you know, I started experimenting with that idea. And right away, it felt right. It felt like there, like there was then a conversation happening with almost these, like, you know, in a sense, I think the way I was almost imagining is, and you used the word heavenly. In a sense, I think I almost felt like it's almost like the fates or the gods kind of speaking to us uh, and speaking to Carmen and Aiden about their lives and their fate you know and there's a sense of um destiny I think inherent with that and also I think there's a very um ancient kind of a sound that I was really drawn to for the film uh and for the music and the the interesting next question that I had to you know answer was like well, if there is this choir commenting, what are they saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and Benjamin and I immediately thought to ourselves, well, what if we actually took the original lyrics in French from the opera and wove them in and adapted them and kind of rearranged them, but chose lyrics selectively so that in each scene there was this kind of ghostly counterpoint with what's actually happening? And that's what that's what we did. So there's no Bizet in the in the movie at all. It's all yeah. original music. But the lyrics are the lyrics from Ludovic Alevi and, and Henri Mayak from the original 1875, uh, you know, opera. And so that was something that came, you know, that was like actually in the later stages of this process. But what's interesting is, I think we've talked about this before, but like how sometimes in, a, in, a, in working on a, a score, I feel like you get 60 to 70% of the way through it. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden you figure out, what it is that you're really doing yep. and then you say to yourself, "Oh my god, now I have to go back and re- rethink it all." But that's happened to me on so many projects where it's like you're learning about the film as you're working on it, and at a certain point you've learned enough that everything crystallizes and you say to yourself, "Oh, now I get it," you know? Right. And that was that moment and so then the choir became everywhere and uh and I and and it and it was actually really inspiring to kind of have that like unlocking moment. Um, and, and then I, pu- I fused it through all the pieces, um, and it felt so natural. And that choir was, rec- we recorded it actually at Abbey road. Um, and, uh, we had a, a French, you know, diction specialist there. Cause I wanted to make sure that the French was, was perfect, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite, it was quite moving to hear it performed. Um, and, and, you know, that, that sort of feeling, that scope and size was something that, um, in a way, I, I I first had a the emotion of that feeling when I was, I remember working on The King, and there's a boys choir that I yes. uh, utilized in The King, and that was the Trinity Boys Choir, and they were incredible. Uh, we recorded that in London as well, actually at British Grove Studios. Um, but this was a whole, um, you know, I mean, sort of order of magnitude beyond the scope of that. And, um, I mean, there's nothing like the sound of, of voices, I think, uh, especially voices in a, uh, I don't want to say it, it has a, a, a religious kind of a sound, but there is this kind of ancient feeling. And, um, the reverb is a very long tailed verb at times that gives you kind of a, kind of hangs in the air a bit. Mm-hmm. I like that. I
0: like that a lot. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk about the collaborations that you had on the score here. You mentioned a couple of the names uh, earlier. Um, Can you talk about what it was like working with them to create some of the songs for the film uh, and how they uh, contributed uh, towards the vocals? Because uh, some of these songs are just they're
3: just as great to listen to as the standalone uh, music tracks. Thank you. Well, well, it was, you know, from those early conversations I had with Benjamin, my my first reaction when he said to me, I want to do a reimagine of Carmen, my first thing was, I don't want to rearrange any Bizet because Mm -hmm. there are so many incredible adaptations of Carmen. Actually, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I feel that Carmen may have been adapted and arranged more than almost any other opera. I think oh, wow. sense, okay it's one of the most you know widely arranged and there's so many there's ver- there's so many film versions that are adapting you there's version there's broadway there's carmen jones there's some you know uh, godard has a carmen reimagining you know mm-hmm. so many movies um and and an so I just felt that it was so important to write a, an original score for this especially since Benjamin wanted it to be more of a dreamscape and a and a kind of parallel universe carmen um and so when it came to the original songs it was the same thing. Like, how do we write something new? And um, I remember Benjamin and I early on were talking about finding real uh, collaborators that that we felt this could really resonate with. And I remember Julieta's um lyrics in particular, we felt were very poetic. There was just a poetry to that. And um our one of our producers, uh, who is also our music supervisor on the film Lynn Feinstein, um, she Uh, knew Julieta well and connected us and um, it was it was it was uh, wonderful you know I mean I remember she came to I think she was in Argentina at the time Um, I think she's living in Argentina now actually but she came to Los Angeles and we spent time together and in in Benjamin's house working at the piano and um, and similarly uh, Tara who I've been loving working with who's brilliant Uh, we worked together on, uh, on the songs as well. Uh, Tara wrote the lyrics for the song slip away, uh, that Mm -hmm. Paul performs. And, um, and then the DOC actually, that was interesting. Uh, one of our producers, Mimi Valdez and I, and Benjamin were together one day and we were trying to imagine what is the right sound for the final culminating match. And right. And, uh, this sounds, you know, th- this sounds like, like it's made up, but it's totally true that we were sitting together. And I remember we wanted it to be an L like a legendary LA, uh, hip hop artist. And Mimi and I just looked at each other and we were like the DOC, <laughs> we just had this vision and it just, and she's like, and she was like, I know doc. And she just reached right out to him. And he actually, it's very moving. He hadn't, um, he hadn't performed. He said since his accident, uh, wow. Um, you know, tragically, uh, I, I, for those who've seen the the Defiant Ones documentary, you know, he was um, one of the great aspiring rappers in the early '90s in L.A. And then he was in a terrible car accident and and basically lost um, the use of his his vocal cords. And uh, and so he ended up being an incredible writer. You know, wrote many many of the of what are the classic you know '90s L.A. hip hop tracks. Um, but uh, but wasn't able to perform, and so w- he really was excited at the possibility of of being in the film and performing it, but also in writing this track uh, with me. And um, and that was that was quite a special experience too. He he worked on the lyrics, and uh, we got together. He he recorded some in his studio in uh, Texas, and then came up to New York. And I think this was I feel this was right before the pandemic that he came up and we got together, we were able to get together, and we uh, recorded even more in my studio together and put it together. Um, And what was fascinating was Benjamin, you know, in the way that he used these songs, I was imagining that I I would put these together, that we would put these together. And then Benjamin would figure out the way to sort of structure them in the film. I imagined we would rearrange them or re-edit them or something. And what was incredible was Benjamin, really wanted the music to drive the film. So we didn't actually, he just, we would write these songs and record them. And then he would just say, okay. <laughs> and then, and then he would set the movie to the music, <laughs> which is something that I have not really experienced before. Uh, so it was quite, and I think about it too, like, you know, as a choreographer, especially a choreographer who has has choreographed both modern music and historical, classical music, mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting that I think he is used to that idea of, you know, um if you're choreographing, let's say Stravinsky or Tchaikovsky, you know, you can't ask, you know, for edits. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> that's true. You know, uh, kind of jumping off of that here, um I often hear the phrase, especially a lot of times when you know you have a film or any project that doesn't have a lot of dialogue and it relies a lot on the visual and the, the music here as this film does, people will say, oh, the music is another character in the film. Uh, what are your thoughts when you hear a phrase like that? Because here I think it is essential, but do you aim to always have music be, quote unquote, a character within a film? Like, what is your interpretation of that phrase? And like, how would you, you know, receive that? Yeah, it's a great question.
3: My take is that the music should be, should be proper to the film itself. And that means that in some cases, maybe that is the 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 proper role of, of the music, but that's definitely not an assumption that I make. Um, you know, I feel there are, many, many times that actually, I think my instinct often is that the music should be, um, you know, I've used the sort of metaphor. It's like kind of woven into the fabric. Like I, I don't, I, I'm actually sometimes afraid if my music is, is stepping on any toes, I'm the the last thing I ever want is for the music to somehow, you know, impose itself on anybody's attention or emotions or anything. Um, I want it to feel natural in, Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, um, in some projects the natural place for music is actually a more overt place and in some it's not you know and i think that's really the sensitivity of the director of the composer the to be uh sensitive to that and also to be open to um how how music does have a shifting role in every in every narrative and every um aesthetic universe um some things are you know like for example on succession like I never imagined that that the music would um operate in the way that it does that was a discovery that we had that uh that that it felt it felt like that somehow worked and the and when I say it somehow worked that's the that's the million dollar question of like what does that even mean you know you say just, <laughs> How does that what does it mean it works it means that when you're in the room with the the showrunner or the director, it just feels right, you know? And it's like a physical feeling. It feels like it's in its place. It feels like it's um, operating as it should. When things aren't in the right place, like I feel it as like a, I don't know. It's like there's an, un- when things work, you get, you know, you can almost get like a, like a shiver down your spine, you know? Mm-hmm. And when things don't work, it is whatever the opposite of that feeling is. <laughs>
0: Well, what you're doing is working clearly. Um, I would normally ask you what you have coming up next, but I think we all know over the next couple of weeks as we listen to your work on the final <laughs> yes. season of succession. Uh, is there anything else beyond that we can look forward to
3: from you in the future? Um, yeah, I can I'm I've begun working on the se- the second season of Andor. Um nice. so that, that's that's in the works. And um I'm also actively working with Barry Jenkins on um uh his uh, Mufasa The Lion King. Uh, so that's another project, which, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of work, uh, I'm sure to be done, but, but that's another one that I, that I'm definitely working on. So
0: a lot of influences, a lot of styles, but only one Nicholas Bratel. Thank you so much as always, because let me tell you, I say this all the time. I mean it truly from the bottom of my heart, no better composer working today other than yourself, sir. Truly. I mean, what you're, what you're doing is history in the making, so keep
3: it up. Matt, thank you so much. Um, it means a lot coming from you and uh, and always love, love our discussions.
0: Absolutely, man. Best of luck to you. All right. Thank you so much. Take care.
3: Take care. Bye. Hey,
0: everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Dan Baer's interview with the director for Carmen Benjamin Millipede and my interview with the film's composer Nicholas Bretel, here on the next best picture podcast. Carmen is being released in theaters on April 21st from Sony Pictures Classics. next time!